So Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to read 44 through 49. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus yelled with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home, striking their breasts. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Lord be with us. Be in us, Lord. Speak through Your Word here today. Stir our hearts. Reveal to us truth, useful information. But Lord, we want Your presence living and active through the reading of Your Word here this morning. Changing hearts, transforming lives. Teach us, Lord, to walk in joy and trust. Speak through me, Lord. Use, I am here, I am your vessel to speak through, Lord. Speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. <coughs> so the death of Christ. Here in the death of Christ. And these are the words that I want to see that, I want, that we want to look at here this morning. Our God loves greatly. Lots of things. I mean, He created all things. I think He loves a lot of the things, most of the things He created, except for mosquitoes. <laughs> he was angry that day. <laughs> he, he, he did give us bats. <laughs> but He loves a lot of things. He takes joy in a lot of things. And this morning I want to focus on two things specifically um, and, and that He always, you know, specifically and always does, always loves. There's two things, gardens and weddings. He loves beauty. He cultivates beauty. That's what the garden is all about. That's what weddings are all about. The very first thing He did after he finished creating Adam, was he planted a garden. He took all the seeds and stuff that he had made and created, and he took them and he planted them. He didn't leave them on the counter or in a bin or in a bag. Or <laughs> but he planted them he to, to flourish them. He made his garden. If you read the Narnia series, it's the Garden of Aslan on the mountain of the great emperor beyond the sea. 
This illustration of God. He loves to create and cultivate life. Even in the midst of darkness on the earth and death. Now, the way that we need to read this passage, um, like all things with, like whenever we you know, celebrate communion, is it a celebration? We can enter into the sorrow of the moment, but with the lens of the resurrection. We need to remember the resurrection. Keep it in your minds and on the forefront of your heart. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the lens through which we see the crucifixion. The death of Christ accomplished much, a lot of things in fact, but it is only good and truly fulfilling because of the resurrection. So having that mindset in our hearts. Because without the resurrection, the crucifixion is just another, another dead good guy. Another dead martyr. Another person who has died like the rest of humanity throughout human history and our faith is worthless. Like, like it says we're gonna, uh, in 1 Corinthians, which we'll talk about more in the weeks to come. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. But if we have, sorry, if we have put our hope in Christ for this only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, we view the death of Christ on the cross for our sins, for our freedom, through the lens of the crucifixion. That's why I love the words of the, of the rest of the words here in the death of Christ. What? I live. And we can only live because of the resurrection of Christ. But He first had to die in order to be raised. So the death of Christ accomplished much, but is only valuable in so much as the resurrection accomplished the fulfillment of the death of Christ. So now let's look at this, at this uh, Scripture passage. So let's look at this. The, de- the darkness itself. It said, in the, even in the midst of darkness, God creates beauty and life and joy. Now, what, you know, let's look at the, just kind of the, 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 the nerdy points that I was like, oh, cool, this is kind of cool information, right? So the, this is a miraculous darkness. Well, some people are like, oh, it may have been like a solar eclipse. No. And why? Because the 14th of Nissan is a full moon. And it is scientifically impossible for a solar eclipse to happen during a full moon cycle. So, and also, we were in a full eclipse. It lasted for what? Maybe three minutes? This is three hours of darkness. From noon till three. So this is miraculous all around. The exact season it shouldn't have been in, for the length it shouldn't have been in, this is a miraculous, miraculous darkness. Now, Let's get into the why. Why did God create darkness? Was he like an early movie producer and director? He's like, okay, we're going to set the scene with a little bit of darkness. Right? The mood. We're going to set the mood for Jesus to, to Jesus' death. No, why? Well, this goes all the way back to our discussion out on the front lawn with Passover. That's the setting of the death of Christ. He is the Passover lamb. Who was slain? Right at this moment, Jesus is dying when the sacrificial lambs are being slaughtered in the temple. 
So our sacrificial lamb is on the cross being slaughtered. Let's look at the Passover. This is when Yahweh judged the, uh, the gods of Egypt. He said, I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all of the Egyptians. Gods of Egypt. The focus of the plagues, the judgment and the wrath of all the ten plagues and horrors of the Exodus were against the deities in the supernatural realm. We're against the Elohim and the, and the demons in the unseen realm. The spiritual powers and, and authorities in the unseen realm as it talks about in Ephesians 6. There are over 80 gods in the Egyptian pantheon. Influenced, you know, by its, it influenced its literature, government, art, morality. And many of these gods were imaged with um, animals. So let's look at these. Like, there's like an, a lion, an ox, ram, wolf, dog, cat, ibis, vulture, falcon, hippo, crocodile, dolphin, cobra, fish, frog, scarab, which is a beetle. It's a poop, de- poop uh, beetle, dung beetle, locust, etc. Just want to make sure that you knew what dung was. It's poop. <laughs> Pharaoh was looked at as a god himself. A deity incarnate. That's why they worshipped Pharaoh. And they considered him to be a son of Amun-Ra, whose Amun-Ra is the creator god of the, of the Roman, or I'm sorry, of the Egyptian pantheon. He is the ruler of all the Egyptian gods. He is the god above their gods that they worship. And they believe that Pharaoh was a son of God. Fast forward a few thousand years, same thing, well, just a little, little aside, this one's for free. Um, Caesar Augustus, um, do you guys remember back in the 90s, there was that Hale-Bopp comet and that super weird cult that killed themselves in order to like board the spaceship behind the trail of the Hale-Bopp comet? Halley's Comet, right? Halley's Comet also appeared at the time of, at the, time of, of the death of Julius Caesar. You know, the guy who was like stabbed, et tu, Brute, you know, right? That guy actually existed. I, it was amazing when I found that out. It was a real, real guy. <laughs> and so he died, and Caesar Augustus, who was born at the time, I'm sorry, who Jesus was born underneath, Caesar Augustus, the first actual Roman emperor, he said, oh, look, that Halley's Comet, that comet going through the sky. Of course, they didn't know what it was. What it was. You know, he's like, that is Julius Caesar going to join the gods, and I am his son. So therefore, the emperor of the Roman Empire became known as the Son of God. It's interesting how the pagan world loves to worship their emperors. I'd like to say a lot more about that, but I'm not going into that in our 21st century. But, <clears throat> but so I, I, I deal with a lot more of the Egyptian pantheon. So if you go, go to our, the Facebook group, if you're, not, if you're not a member of the Facebook group, yeah, because it's a private group. So search uh, Shift Church you know, gr- uh, group. It's a group. Not the page, but the group. So I, I did a post with all of the, the gods and the, all the gods because I was super fascinated about this. Um, and so I found it out. So each one of the plagues is a judgment, like it says, on all the gods. And so each judgment, each, you know, the, you know, the, the blood in the, in the Nile, right, um, was a judgment against like Osiris and stuff like that, all these different gods. And then each one, each, like, you know, the... The, the blood and then the frogs and then the flies and then the swarms and then all this thing, all, all these things. All these different plagues were a judgment against specific ways that they worshiped specific Egyptian gods. 
So there's all the inform all the nerdy stuff is on the Facebook group. So go check it out. Uh, <laughs> so and I even posted a link to the to the website that I found it on. So I was like, there's got to be this. So part of this. So one of the most um, things was was that, you know thinking about Passover itself, and Passover was all about the the ten plagues and remembering the ten plagues, right? And the judgment of Yahweh on the demonic deities oppressing his people through a, a pagan people as the entire backdrop of most of human history and is specifically the background of our passage today in the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus is, I'm sorry, Yahweh is still judging the pagan deities. And he is finally, he is creating a new exodus. A new, you know, we have been, we are slaves to sin. You know, there's not, no, not one that is, is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned. All have gone astray. All have, have gone to their own way. And we, we, like all of them, deserve judgment and hell. We all deserve separation from God. But God is creating a new exodus through the Passover. So let's look at the Passover. When the Lord passes through to strike, strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the, the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Now, I think I, I preached about this, but I don't know if everyone was there. So Passover itself, right here in this illustration, so this is the final plague. This is the final judgment, which is the death of the firstborn, of the firstborn, right? And so this is uh, an illustration, as we can see, kind of, of of like Sodom and Gomorrah. He's coming in to bring Sodom and Gomorrah's judgments to Egypt and, and then some, right? He's not just raining fire and sulfur from heaven. He's doing all sorts of other things to completely annihilate, right? And so in this passage, in the, in the, the walking through, like we see with Abraham, with you know, the, the, the messengers, the angels... Yahweh is walking with two angels, most likely, you know, Michael and, and another destroyer angel, going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham stops him. He's like, hey, come and, come and dine with me. I'll make you some cakes and stuff and sit and chat for a while. Well, how did Abraham know what you know, Yahweh looked like? Well, he visited him before and said, hey, guess what? You're going to have a son. You know, or I'm sorry, hey, hey you're going to be the father of a great nation and all sorts of stuff. So Yahweh appeared physically to Abraham. And then so he recognized him when he saw him on the road with these two destroyer angels, warrior angels. And why? Because other people, they had to keep telling them to don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Abraham saw Yahweh and didn't have fear in the presence of these angels because he saw his loving Yahweh in the presence. And so this is Yahweh walking through the Israelite camp, the Israelite city with the destroyer angel. Michael. So there are two figures in this passage. Yahweh, the Lord, and Michael, the destroyer angel. And they're walking through the town, walking through the, through, through the city, and everywhere they see, because they have to sacrifice the, fact, the, the Passover lamb, right? The sacrificial lamb, and put the blood on the doorposts. And what does it say? He will pass over the door. He, when, when he uh, strikes Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door. Now, that phrase isn't like a, you know, I think it's, it's been oftentimes you know, like walking along, sees the doorpost. Oh, cool, I'm going to pass over. I'm just going to keep walking. 
you know, see that? Cool. That's not what it means. In antiquity, this phrase actually came from uh, the ancient Egyptian, the ancient Egyptian culture, from their pagan deities. What they would do is they would walk, they would you know, walk in the, the door, you know, through the threshold of the of a house, and they'd have a little stand with their pagan gods, their little idols, sitting on a little stand. And what they would do is they would take a sacrifice and they would slaughter, you know, slaughter the sacrifice and pour its blood out on the ground, which God said is a, a defilement. You don't pour the blood of any animal on the ground because that's where the life of the animal is. So they would pour it on the ground and then step over it into the house. It would pass over oh, this, this phrase, pass over, is they would pass over the sacrifice into the house. And they believed that when they made this sacrifice to these idols, that the pagan deity, that this, this, this demonic presence would enter, would pass over the threshold into the house to be their protector. Like maybe a, you know, health protector or from theft or whatever it is. But they would, they would ask this deity into their home. They would invite this deity to enter their home and take possession in the idols and worship the deity in the idols. And here's the reality, guys. We live in a supernatural, unseen realm world all around us. You know, the, the pagan de- deities, they did that. This is a real thing. Real demonic forces can enter a home when invited and take possession in objects to be worshipped. This is a reality. This is not just like old mythology. This is reality, y'all. We live in a very real supernaturally supernatural world that's you know beyond the veil of our physical realm. And so this is what he's saying in this passage is that when I see the, the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, I, the blood is not on the ground. The blood is on the door. And I will pass over the threshold into the house. I will be your protector. I will be your savior. I will be your deliverer. I will be your hope and your peace and your joy. And I will not what let the destroyer enter your house. Because my presence has filled it. And nothing can come in to destroy you. That's the glory. That is the joy. But here's the thing. For them, He would just enter into their houses. For us, He enters into our lives. Because of the blood of Christ on us, in us, through us, immersed in us. Jesus not only took our sin... But God judged all of sin. All evil. Like He judged the gods of Egypt. He judged all demonic deities and claimed the victory over sin and death by entering into death itself and conquering it. Being victorious over it. All these passages from the Old Testament talk to that. The day, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness. Luke chapter 23. The earth quakes before them. The sky shakes. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars cease their shining. Amos, he says, and in, and in that day, this is the declaration of the Lord, I will make the sun go down at... Noon. Huh. I've seen that somewhere. 
I will darken the land in the daytime. This is what Jesus did. This is what God did by, through this. He was judging the authorities. This is a day of wrath against the unseen realm, against all the forces of, an evil, of evil that would ever dare to oppress us, that would ever dare to bring an accusation against His beloved people. This is what He says. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping them from every weapon, from them every weapon in all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were His. The cross was Jesus judging the darkness by bringing darkness. He killed it. He nailed it to the cross. Jesus is our Passover lamb. For indeed, you are clean. This is what Jesus' death on the cross brought us. Cleanliness. Cleansing us from all unrighteousness. All sin. All shame. All guilt. There's nothing in no one who can ever accuse God's beloved. You are clean. Because Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And Christ Himself has entered death. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus had the victory. He claimed the victory all over all the gods of Egypt and released His people from slavery by judging all the spiritual authorities in Egypt, reining them in, making them prisoners, tying them up to release His people. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. This is the new exodus. He went and bound all of these spiritual authorities, all the principalities, all the rulers, all the, the, the powers in the unseen realm by claiming victory over all of them. He conquered them through the blood of His cross and we get that victory. We have that victory. We have been freed from all sin. We have been freed from all death. We have been freed from authorities and principalities and what? Given authority over them to say, go back to hell. Get out of this place. You do not belong and never come back. Because the blood of Christ soaks and anoints every part of my house. This is the cool part. Okay, it's all cool, but the curtain. Oh, I love the curtain. Oh, I love the curtain. So this is... Let's, we're going to kind of go like a little bit back in history a bit. So this curtain, right? So the curtain is the veil in the temple that separates uh, mankind from the the presence of God. Now this is now in the temple they have like these giant like you know cherubim with their wings touching like each one is 15 feet long because the whole building is like 30 feet across. Uh, which is actually kind of small if you think about it. <laughs> but but then right in the middle of it you have the the ark of the covenant with the mercy seat on top of it. And then you have the, and so this is the presence of Yahweh. This is God's presence on earth. 
And that's why they would, they would come to Jerusalem three times a year to like celebrate and feast and have a, have a party with God. It was like coming to God's house for a party. It's like being, inviting other people over to your house to celebrate like a birthday. They were coming to celebrate God in His presence. And there, so there was this curtain and no one could go behind that curtain except the priest, the high priest, one time, once a year. But this expression in the temple came from the expression in the wilderness and in, in, you know, before the temple, before, da- before Solomon constructed the temple in what's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically just a portable temple. It was a bunch of tents, or it was a bunch of like um, materials of linen and, and wool and stuff like that woven. Um, but the, the curtain in the tabernacle uh, was really, really cool. It was really, really ornate. It says this in Exodus. This is about this is talking about the law and what they're supposed to do because you know God gave them instructions. He gave them the blueprint. You are to make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely spun win, uh, linen, linen, with a design of cherubim. We'll get to that word. Cherubim worked into it, hanging on four gold-plated pillars of acacia wood, and then and have gold hooks and that and that stand on four silver bases. Hang the curtain under the clasps and bring the Ark of the Testimony there behind the curtain. So the curtain will make a separation for you between the holy place and the most holy place. Put the, put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Testimony in the most holy place. So the temple and the, and the, and the tabernacle are representative. They're representative of the Garden of Eden. And that's why like the door into even the, the holy place, not so much the holy holy place, but the holy place was a was this all it was all decorated, the whole temple was decorated with all this these plants, like almond trees and grapevines and all sorts of different thing, you know, agricultural things. It was supposed to represent a garden. The Garden of Eden. And what was the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden was the presence, the special relational presence of Yahweh. And what happened to humanity in the garden? We used to walk in the garden with God. We would walk in the cool of the morning with Him. You feel like you know, the soft grass under your feet still with the, the, the wet dew on it. Walking with God. The sunrise coming up. One of my favorite times of the day. Walking with God. And then what happened? They fell and were kicked out of the garden. And this is what happened. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So the cherubim on the curtain was representing the cherubim that's guarding the way to the tree of life. That curtain is torn. That curtain is gone. We have full access to the garden of God to walk with Him in the cool of the morning. We have access to God again. We have access to the garden to walk with Him. Not only us having access into the garden, But also, this is God unleashing Himself onto the world. 
This is the image of the river coming out of the Holy of Holies, coming spilling out of the temple, ankle deep and then knee deep and then waist deep and then over your head, flooding down the valley into the Dead Sea, bringing life and flourishing, bringing animals to to drink from its sweet waters, planting trees along its banks, and all nations coming to drink from the river from the river of life, spilling out of the temple. And what is the river of life? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the river of life. The presence of Yahweh has been unleashed and it takes up residence in all of us who believe. He has poured Himself out on all humanity. He says, after this, I will pour out My Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. The Spirit of God, the Spirit and the presence that rested on the mercy seat now rests on you, on each one of you, and on us. We are each living stones that that build up a temple. We are the temple. We are the body. We are the mercy seat of Christ. We are the ark of testimony. Because what do you say? We conquer what? By the blood of Christ and the word of our what? Testimony. We are the ark of testimony. Each one of us, a little ark of testimony, walking, running around everywhere, that, that the presence of Yahweh rests upon because of the cross of Christ. That is why he included that the veil was torn. The curtain was torn. And he cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the centurion responded. The crowds responded. His disciples responded. Let's look at those responses. The centurion, the man, this he said, this man was, really was righteous. And other gospel writers say the Son of God. Specifically Mark, who's testi- who is Peter's testimony to the Romans. He made sure to include that because remember, Emperor claimed himself to be what? Son of God. So this cl- faith claim of the centurion was huge. And so remember, Luke pagan guy or you know former pagan or sorry gentile he's not a pagan my bad luke is a gentile writing to gentiles who are in the pagan gentile world so they would understand this phrase as encompassing that that's why that's why luke himself didn't say son of god he said this man really was righteous which is only really said of the emperor and of the gods in the pagan culture and he's ascribing it to Jesus. This is a verbal uh, expression of faith. This is what the, the centurion meant. And as we see from other, other Scripture passages, we start to actually see that this centurion came to faith in Jesus later. And he kept to this testimony. That he observed what he saw and he said what he said. And he kept proclaiming it. And kept proclaiming it. Who else responded? All the crowds. Not necessarily the chief priests. This is the crowds that came out to like to see and to observe and to, to check out what was happening because we're all entertained by bloodshed. I mean, humanity is 
rotten like that, right? Um, I like Gladiator. Come on. You know? <laughs> but how'd they respond? They struck their chests. This is an expression of dire brokenness, lament. This is like, the, like we're on the verge of suicide, depression, expressing, being expressive with this. It's a self-harm, in essence, an expression of deep lament. This is basically what have we done? They realize what had just happened. Maybe the chief priests didn't you know, pick up on Psalm 22 and Psalm 31 being sung and, and, and yelled from the cross, but the crowds did. The centurion did. And then the followers. And what does it say? It said all of them, all, all who knew him. This is We're talking about like 120 disciples that just ate Passover with him the night before, ran away, and now we see we picked them up again at the cross. They what? They saw all these things. They stood at a distance. I just imagine this scene. 120 people wailing and mourning. Or maybe mourning but trying to keep quiet so they didn't draw attention and be arrested and be crucified with them. Weeping, depressed, anxious, fearful. They witnessed everything. But remember, the lens of the resurrection. These same 120 people got to experience the risen Christ who breathed on them. They got to touch Him, hug Him, see Him, smell Him, interact with Him, watch Him eat in front of them, realizing, oh, hey, He's not a ghost. He's not a a spirit. All these different people had a response to the death of Jesus. How will you respond to the death of Jesus? How are we called to respond to the death of Jesus? It's in those last words that Jesus yelled from the cross. What did he say? Into your hand I and trust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. This was Jesus' last words from the cross, was yelling out a psalm. This was a psalm of trust. This is a psalm of trust. The whole psalm. It's about putting your faith, putting your trust, entrusting yourself to the Lord. This is David just throwing himself, hurling himself upon the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of Yahweh. He poured out his his trust on Yahweh at the cross. How are we called to respond to God? It's right there in that little word, trust. Because when you trust, you entrust. When you trust, you, I trust my wife, her driving, to get my children to place to place. 
So therefore, I entrust my children to her. If she was a terrible driver, I would not. Car keys? Mm. They're usually someplace. Although I'm right there. In, I'm, oh, yeah, they're in my, in my pants. Right? But you, when you trust someone, you entrust your entire lives to them. That's what, that's what marriage is. That's what taking that step of marriage is all about. Is that you grow to trust someone so much that you then therefore devote yourself to entrust your entire life to them. To share it, all of it, with them. For all of the rest of life. That's what weddings are. And that's why God loves them. God loves gardens because He loves hanging out with them and inviting others to join Him in the cool of the morning. God loves weddings because He invites all of us into that loving, trusting relationship with Him. That's why He loved first. He came. He lived. He preached. He suffered. He died. He rose. They made a covenant with us. He poured out His Spirit upon all humanity to all who would receive Him, to all who would call upon His name, all those who would trust them and entrust everything about their lives, every element, not just their Sunday mornings, not just maybe as a daily devotional, all of their lives to Him. He will give them, us, you, the right to be children of God. Saints brought into His great joy. Brought into His presence. And that's why we can sing the line of that song with great confidence. Here in the death of Christ I live. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for your your blood poured out. Thank you, God, for coming and dwelling among us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for coming and and showing us the way to life, not just telling us about it, but showing it to us, Lord. Thank You for bringing it near. Thank You for ripping the curtain. Thank You for Your words on the cross. Thank You for, for, for fulfilling all Scripture, for fulfilling all life. Thank You, God, for coming and judging the deities and the gods in the unseen realm, the spirits of, and the demonic. Thank You for binding them all up and having all authority over them, Lord. All power. And giving us that authority. Giving us that ability to conquer in Jesus' name. By the blood of Christ and the word of our testimony, Lord. I pray this morning that You would stir within us, Lord, that power. The power of the, of the crucifixion. The power of the resurrection. The power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that You have poured out upon all who believe. Lord, stir within us the desire to wield that power, to bring freedom, to bring life, to bring joy, to bring salvation, 
As you said, you have given us the ministry of reconciliation to go, Lord, and reconcile this world to you. Empower us, Lord. Stir within us. Activate us, God. Turn turn our spirits on. Lord, Just I pray that you would just stir within us. Wake us up, Lord, to fulfill your mission on this earth. To spread the love and joy. To bring life and healing and flourishing to this world. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, God. Be with us now, God. Stir within our spirits. Guide us, Lord, by your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.